Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. This is Brandon Cox. And this is Chris Bellotta. And we are excited to be doing the second part of our interview with Dr. Norm Geisler and Jason Jimenez. If you missed last week's interview, you can go to godsolutionshow.com and get it there. It was an incredible interview. We're talking to them about their new book, which is The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. I would encourage you to pick that up wherever you buy books. Anyway, you've probably heard me talk numerous times about Dr. Geisler. I've promoted his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, many times on this show. I've also discussed other books that he's done many times on the show. He's written over 90 books, so there is a lot to talk about. It's a huge privilege to be able to interview him this morning. Dr. Norm Geisler is a prolific author, veteran professor, speaker, lecturer, traveler, philosopher, apologist, evangelist, and theologian. He's authored over 90 books and hundreds of articles. He's taught theology, philosophy, and apologetics on the college or graduate level for over 50 years. He is quite the Christian leader, author, apologist, and he's someone that I respect intensely. In fact, I can think of hardly anyone else that's done as much as Dr. Geisler for the case of modern Christian apologetics. In case you're not familiar with that term, again, and I'm assuming if you listen to this show that you're familiar with that term, but apologetics refers to the defense of the Christian faith. So Dr. Geisler spent the last 50 years equipping Christians with historical, philosophical, scientific, and other types of evidence to defend their faith against the attacks that are so prevalent today. Please go to normgeisler.com. Again, that's normgeisler.com for more on Dr. Geisler, and you'll see there a list of his 90-plus books. And I would encourage you to read some of those. You'll grow a ton, and you'll not regret it. It's an incredible privilege having him on the show. I'm also excited to talk to Jason Jimenez. He's been on the show before. If you missed that interview, go to godsolutionshow.com and get that interview. He is a pastor, apologist, and speaker who's ministered to families for the past 15 years. In his ministry career, Jason has been a children's student and college pastor, and he spent a great deal of time investing in families. He is the founder and president of ReShift Ministries, whose mission is to advance Christians to live out a biblical worldview. His ministry has been endorsed by some of the world's greatest Christian leaders. He's authored several different books, including The Raging War of Ideas. We talked to him about that on the show before. The study guide to that book. And he co-authored the study guide with Dr. Norm Geisler for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. This new book, The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions, is also co-authored with Dr. Geisler. I would encourage you to pick it up. He's married to Celia since 2001, and they have four beautiful children. Please visit reshiftministries.org. Again, that's reshiftministries.org for more on Jason Jimenez. Well, anyway, we're going to pick up in our interview with both Dr. Geisler and Jason Jimenez. Talking last week, we began with the discussion of some of the questions in their new book, the Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. And this week we pick up talking about more of those answers. We're talking specifically at the beginning of this week's part of the interview about what the Bible says about the end times, one of the many topics they address in the book. Get ready for a great show and get ready to hear what they have to say about what the Bible says about the end times. 
So a big question that's on a lot of people's minds, especially as we look at what's happening in the Middle East and terrorism and insecurity and economic collapse that seems to be on the horizon. When we look around us, there are so many questions. And a lot of students, even non-Christian students, even will typically ask things like, what's going to happen in the end times? I always think it's interesting how even non-Christian students want to know what the Bible has to say about the end times. And I think a lot of Christians want to know that also. I know you guys deal with that in the book. How would you answer that question, Dr. Geisler? Well, without getting into uh, details, with them say, look, uh, paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. Uh, God put Adam and Eve in paradise. Uh, they blew it. Uh, he sent Christ uh, to save us. Uh, we're gonna, he's going to restore uh, the earth and restore paradise for those who uh, love and serve uh, him. The details of uh, how God is going to uh, do that uh, differ from uh, interpreter to interpreter, but the main outline is the same. Christ is going to return. He came the first time to officially uh, defeat sin. He's going to come the second time to actually uh, defeat it. Uh, death is still here. Uh, he's got to come back to, to uh, defeat uh, death, and eventually... The, there's going to be a paradise in which there's no sorrow, dying, death, uh, or sin uh, left there. And uh, for all who uh, seek him and uh, accept him as their personal Lord and uh, Savior, they're going to be part of this paradise. What a hope to look forward to. I know when I look at all that's going on, the hope of that day becomes more and more hopeful. And I can't wait for that day when, when he comes back. So with being a... What was that? We're not looking for the undertaker. We're looking for the upper taker. Absolutely. So with being students on campus, followers of Christ, how can we defend our faith against attacks, Jason? Well, that's a great question. And, again, I think we, we, we uh, commend you guys for the work you guys are doing on college campuses. Uh, Dr. Guys and I, we were fortunate enough. We were recently on at the University of Miami. And uh, just reminded, again, even though it was a, a gathering of of, of a lot of Christians uh, with at crew, there was a lot of skeptics uh, in the midst of them, and of course, a lot of them had you know legitimate questions and concerns. But there were also a lot of objections that people were having towards Christianity, and of course, in you know when you're in in that type of environment, there's certainly going to be certain attacks um, against our faith, uh, things like that. So the first thing I'd say is is encourage people as First Corinthians 16, as Paul told the church, stand firm in the Lord. You know, stand firm in the relationship that you have in Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He is your Savior. He is your champion. Um, but also, uh, we do follow, uh, again, the mandate in First Peter 3, as we know, uh, the classic verse um, where it says, you know, that we set the Lord God in our hearts aside, that we are prepared to give an answer. And that's where we get the word apologia, or apologetics, which is a defense, and that we have an answer. So I think... When the attacks come, you know, I think the key thing for people is is not to take, uh, you know, a defensive approach. You know, uh, clearly do not be arrogant. Listen to these objections. Listen to the at these attacks. Ask yourself, and then, of course, in conversation, ask the person, you know, why are you attacking me this way? You know, what issues do you really have towards maybe God or towards Jesus or maybe the way they were raised or uh, they were lied to, or or some something to that effect. So I think when when you are when we're defending ourselves against attacks, we got to make sure that we're not attacking in return. 
uh, defending the faith is not about winning the argument. It's about staying true to God's Word and being an, an outlet or being a vessel that the Holy Spirit is empowering and using to convey His truth um, to the person who's making maybe these type of attacks or maybe is conjuring up things that are false, false claims, false accusations, whatever. So it's important as, as, a, as a person who defends the Christian faith that they don't contradict, but rather complement uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so in order to do that, to be effective in defending your faith against attacks, we have to be trained. Um, you have to be prepared. And in order to be prepared, you have to study. You have to give yourself over to God's teaching of his word, to study under people um, who've gone before you or who are experts in particular fields and to learn from them but also to be out there and to engage in such attacks. But don't allow these attacks to defeat you, but rather defeat them by proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ uh, uncompromisingly. Dr. Geisler, a huge question in life is, who determines what is morally right and morally wrong? Uh, the, the answer to that is every moral law uh, implies a moral lawgiver. And so the ultimate moral lawgiver is God. He's perfect. Uh, he can't sin, Hebrews 16, it's impossible for God to uh, to lie. He's absolutely perfect, and Matthew 5 uh, says, uh, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He can't even look with approval on sin, Habakkuk 1.13. So we've got the ultimate moral lawgiver, God. If there were no ultimate moral lawgiver, there wouldn't be any ultimate moral law. There is an ultimate moral law, an ultimate right and wrong, uh, and therefore, there's an ultimate moral law uh, giver. God is the source of uh, his moral nature, is the source of all moral laws. And just a note for our listeners, your dealing with that issue in the Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics is a great resource for people that want to investigate the moral argument for God's existence and the reality that there are moral absolutes. I would encourage you to check out the uh, Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics section on that, that Dr. Geisler right. wrote. It has a new name. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's called the, uh, the uh, Big Book of uh, Christian Apologetics. Now, it's a, a little bit abbreviated, but all the essential things, including that, are in it. That's wonderful to know. With being on campus, we see a, a lot of different religions, a lot of different opinions. Jason... Can all religions be true? No, they can't. And I have to say, um, with the, the modern philosophy of today, with those bumper stickers about coexist and religious pluralism, uh, that's just all false. Clearly, those people, they're trying to make a statement that, you know, we're all come together, or we're all one, we're all one and the same, uh, we don't need to fight over these matters, all religions are true, we're all going to get to the same place in the end. Uh, it's just a lie. And clearly, those people... You know, whether it's a fad or a trend or, or a particular belief of themselves, but the coexist stuff um, clearly uh, is an indication, I think, to me, and it should be also to your listeners, that um, that's just not uh, reality. I mean, the bottom line is not all religions can be true because uh, most of them all hold to different uh, beliefs, right? They have opposite beliefs, and we know, according to the law of non-contradiction, you, you know, both opposites cannot be true, true at the same time in the same sense. So, for example... You know, one person says there is no God. Uh, we Christians believe that there is a God. Uh, and then some other people believe that uh, God can't be known. 
and maybe they have a form of agnosticism. Well, they can, they, those three different worldviews cannot all be true at the same time in the same sense. There's either a God or there isn't a God. Then you get into the realm of polytheism, for example, where they believe that there are many gods, like maybe Wicca, you know, somebody who holds those, dif- those different beliefs. Well, that's an insult to Judaism and also an insult to Islam. So, uh, you know, that alone right there shows you that not all religions can be true, but just on the basis of, uh, of that worldview. Another thing you think about is there are other people who believe that we're God. You know, a Christian science person, you know, holds to a pantheistic understanding of, of maybe, let's say, God, that, that all things are God. Um, those, are, those are opposed um, to not only a deistic understanding of God, but most importantly, a theistic understanding of God. We know a difference between, as a Christian, creator and creation. God is God and we are not. We are created from him and we're made in his image. So for someone to hold a different view of that uh, clearly shows that not all religions can be true. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're interviewing Dr. Norm Geisler, world-renowned apologist who's written over 90 books, and Jason Jimenez about their new book, The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. So those are just a few of the questions that you discuss in this most recent book, The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. I want to encourage our listeners to pick this up. I got mine last night on Amazon. I bought the Kindle version of it. It was only $9.99, if I'm not mistaken, so a great resource for not much at all. I would encourage you guys, if you haven't bought it yet, to pick it up this morning. You could get it on Amazon. You could get it directly downloaded onto your Kindle, whatever. It'd be a great, great book. And for you that are believers that are listening right now, this is the kind of thing that you need to get so that you can be prepared when that attack that we talked about before does come, and it will come, so that you can be ready to answer those that question you. And again, I think Jason mentioned this in the beginning of the show, the point of this is to share our faith. I guess Dr. Geisler also mentioned that. When we share the hope that we have in Jesus, and real questions do come up, it's important to be able to answer those questions. So pick up this book this morning. And I wanted to ask both of you as we talk about this book, what is your hope for this book? Well, my hope for this book is that we could get it in the, the hands of every uh, Christian, uh, because every Christian needs to know how to defend his faith. And uh, once he gets a hold of this book and these answers, he's armed to uh, go out and meet the challenges that are there. And without that, uh, uh, we're going to be left uh, helpless in the world because the world has questions. If we don't have answers, they're not going to listen to us. We are very fortunate and blessed to have Josh and Sean McDowell, good friends of ours, to do the forward uh, of the book. And I think that they said it well, because uh, this really fits our purpose of why we wrote this book. And as Dr. Geyser just uh, conveyed, uh, what we were hoping that that every Christian would have this uh, in their hands, in their, in their homes, as, as a guide to help them. Uh, but Josh and Sean, they say, no longer do you have to worry or be afraid when someone asks you a tough question about your faith. This book will equip you with answers to questions most Christians struggle to answer. Not only will it help you build confidence to to defend the faith, but it will also be an encouragement as you grow in your faith. And that's the purpose. We want um, Christians to know what they believe and why they believe it. And and because we know a lot of Christians do, uh, in fact, struggle and have have doubts, and we don't want those doubts to consume them. Uh, But we want to give them the answers that come from God's truth, from his word, 
to help equip them so that the way they can be effective in defending their faith in a world today, as we're just talking about, that, that carries on a, a different notion of belief or believes that all religions are true or that Jesus Christ isn't the only way to God or that sin doesn't exist and that there is no heaven or there, there's no hell. Um, these, these questions matter, and they come from the heart of, of most people. And there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians today that have a lot of questions. And even though we have a, the, the Internet and we have a lot of stuff out there, they're not really sure where they can turn to to find credible answers to their questions. And so our hope is that this book will, would lend itself um, to further people's uh, growth uh, in their faith as well as uh, equipping them to defend the faith. That's my hope, too. I told some of our staff, my wife and I are actually going to be launching a ministry in a different state coming this summer. And I told the staff at this campus where we've been on staff for the past 11 years that when we leave, we're going to buy this book for everybody that's here just so that they can answer these questions. You know, for years we've done Q&As in our house where we have dinner and then we have a basket that we pass around and people can put in whatever question they want. It's anonymous. And we kind of pull the questions out and deal with them. And we've said, when we leave, we want to leave you with some of these answers. So I'm thankful for this resource, and I know it is going to do That's exactly great. what you're hoping it will do. I think it'll equip a lot of people to defend their faith. Well, we appreciate that, Nate. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's great to hear because that's that's uh, good for you. That's and our purpose. Yeah. in your ministry too. It's it's an incredible resource. Okay, Dr. Geisler, there is a trend I think in modern apologetics to kind of dabble in a little bit of theistic evolution. I've always said that I think theistic evolution is both bad theology and bad science. And I think that you've done a really good job, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, kind of explaining why evolution is not true. But I think describing that issue, creation and evolution, what do you think about that debate in general, and then specifically as it relates to Christian apologetics? Theistic evolution is logically possible no contradiction in saying God used uh, the process of evolution to bring about uh, the life in this world and human beings. It's logically possible. It's scientifically improbable because the evidence is uh, strongly against it. Uh, and there's many books just consult the intelligent design uh, uh, movement uh, and any of the books they've produced. And it's biblically untenable. Uh, you cannot hold a, a historical grammatical interpretation of Genesis, i.e. literal interpretation of the Bible, and believe in theistic evolution, because the Bible says God made Adam from the dust, not from lower animals. He made Eve from Adam's uh, rib. She didn't evolve uh, separately. There's no way you can reconcile uh, the account in Genesis with theistic uh, evolution. You have to deny the historicity and authority of uh, Genesis, and those things in Genesis, the historical part, the first, uh, I mean, the uh, first 11 chapters, which are historical as the rest is, uh, are, are historical, and the New Testament bases Christian doctrines on those. So you, uh, to say that theistic evolution is true, you undermine uh, Christian doctrines like the doctrine of Marriage, Matthew 19, uh, Jesus said God made them male and, and female, uh, and there are about six or seven uh, Christian doctrines that would collapse if theistic evolution were true. So it's a very serious error that people are making. 
might be logically possible, but it's scientifically improbable and it's biblically untenable. That's exactly right. You know, Dawkins mentions several times how different aspects of evolution were just a stroke of luck. I think he uses that term many different times. And I, I look at some different Christian apologists that kind of embrace this, like Francis Collins, who admits that the scientific probability is impossible for this to happen, yet believes that because of that, God must have guided it along the way. I just don't understand why they would realize that it's scientifically implausible and how it doesn't come from a natural reading of Scripture, but somehow think it's the best option in spite of those two drawbacks. I think they're uh, giving away uh, the farm to uh, modern scientific uh, uh, thought, so-called, and, and uh, they don't want to be swimming upstream against the stream. They don't want to take a stand for it because the vast majority of people don't uh, believe in it. Well, the vast majority of people once believed the earth was, wasn't round, it was square, and you fall off the edge if you go too far. Uh, so what does that prove? It doesn't prove anything. You, you don't base truth on the vast majority of uh, what people believe. You base it on facts, and the facts are that uh, you can't get life from non-life without an intelligent creator. Uh, the fact one, fact two is you can't get conscious life from unconscious life without an intelligent creator. It just doesn't happen. You you can't get intelligent life from non-intelligent life without an intelligent creator. So you can't go from something to, from nothing to something. You can't go from non-life to life. You can't go from non-conscious life to conscious life or from non-intelligent life to intelligent life. Those are insurmountable chasms that uh, uh, theistic evolution or any kind of evolution doesn't uh, uh, surpass. Okay, so we talked about the Bible's answers to 100 of life's biggest questions. We just discussed a few. Again, buy the book by that title on Amazon as soon as you get a chance but why should somebody even trust the Bible in the first place? And either of you guys could answer that. Well, I mean, the quick answer I would say is you should believe the Bible because God inspired it. And if God is, if God is real, based on some of the evidence that we've given uh, on, on on your radio show today, um, would should and in, in, again should direct people that the Bible is true if God wrote it. But another thing about that's interesting about the Bible, unlike others, is when you look at it in a historical context. I mean, you're dealing with a history of 1,400 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, and the message is uh, the same. It does not contradict itself. It complements. You see, you see through through history, God using the people of Israel, uh, bring, sending His Son Jesus, establishing of the church in the early age with the apostles' writings. You study their theology. And, and, you, it's, and it's not just viable, but it's real, and it's transforming the lives that we see through history as well. You see the literature of the Bible. You see its continuity. Um, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, there, there is, there's no other book, uh, not just in ancient literature, but no other book in the world that comes uh, uh, close to the credibility of, of, of the Bible itself. The other thing is when you also look and people take time to study in church history, and you see the vast amount of scrutiny that the Bible has undergone to become what we call the canonicity of Scripture, of how we've come to the 66 books known as the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's phenomenal. So 
um, people should trust the Bible because if God is real and he inspired the Bible, these 40 different authors to write it, um, then they, they, should, they should trust it because it comes from God, not from man. There's more, there are more manuscripts, earlier manuscripts, more accurately copied manuscripts for the New Testament than any book from the ancient world. We have 5,800 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Uh, many other books have 10 or 20. We have earlier manuscripts going right back to the threshold of the first century. Most other books have a thousand-year gap uh, there. There are better copied manuscripts, Homer's Iliad and uh, Mahabharata, um, copied 90 and 95 percent accurately, respectively. And the Bible is 99 plus. Uh, A.T. Robertson said 99.9 percent accurate. Now, if we have more manuscripts, earlier manuscripts, better manuscripts, more witnesses, we have uh, nine people writing 27 books of the New Testament. Two or three witnesses would be sufficient. Uh, most books have only one witness from the ancient world then we have more evidence for the New Testament than any other book from the ancient world. If you reject the New Testament's historicity, you must uh, reject all the classics, Plato, Aristotle, Thucydides, uh, Homer, all of the classics from the ancient uh, world. And if the New Testament is historically accurate, then Jesus uh, lived, uh, he, he did miracles, he died, he rose from the dead, and Jesus said, the Bible is the inspired word of God in seven or eight different ways. He said it's imperishable. Uh, in Matthew 5, he said it's infallible in John chapter uh, 10 and so forth. And I think if you get him right back from the historicity of the New Testament to Jesus, his claim to be God, he fulfilled prophecy, lived a sinless, miraculous life to confirm his claim, uh, I think that's probably the most powerful argument for the Bible being the Word of God. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Again, we'll be airing the third part of this interview next week. Please don't miss it. Tune in next week for the third part of the interview with Dr. Geisler and Jason Jimenez. And if you missed last week's, or if you want to listen again to this week's show, go to GodSolutionShow.com. Well, a lot of the evidence that we discussed today points to something more important than this show, more important than any of the books we've discussed, more important than anything in all of life. And that's the reality that you can know with confidence that God loves you and has a plan for you and is able to promise you everlasting life. The Bible says that God loves each and every one of us, but that each of us are sinful and selfish. We are not perfect. God is perfect. Because of that, we can't be in relationship with God. Fortunately for us, God became a man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life on this planet and died the death that we deserved and was separated from God on our behalf because of our sin so that we would not have to be. He did that so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him, receiving him as Savior and Lord, could be forgiven forever, adopted into his family, guaranteed a life of meaning and abundance on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. If you've never taken that step, I would ask you to do it this morning, to say, Jesus I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternal life with you in heaven. I put my faith and trust in you, and I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says if you took that step this morning, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll be adopted into his family, guaranteed a life of meaning and abundance on this planet, 
in an eternity with him in heaven. I hope that you took that step. And if you haven't yet, I hope that you'll think about it today. Well, I would also like to invite you to a local church this morning. Go to GodSolutionShow.com for a list of local churches and the times and the places that they meet and visit one of them. It'll be a great way to take some steps in your walk with God. And I'm sure that you'll be encouraged by what you hear and who you meet. I know that it'll be a great time of growing closer to God in the environment of a local church. And in case you're a little wary of going to a local church, I can vouch for each of the ones that I put on the site. So I hope you'll visit them. Also, we'd like to invite you to connect this week. We'll be meeting at 6 p.m. Tuesday at the bus stop here on campus. Again, 6 p.m. Tuesday at the bus stop on campus. And we'll be meeting Thursday at 6 p.m. at Jones 140. And there will be dinner there as well. Both are going to be great times of growing closer to friends and growing closer in your walk with God. I hope you'll make both of those. Well, please tune in next week for the third part of our interview with Dr. Norm Geisler and Jason Jimenez. Again, if you missed last week's or if you want to hear this week's again, go to GodSolutionShow.com to get both of those. And definitely, please tune in next week for the third part of our interview with Dr. Norm Geisler and Jason Jimenez. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. I got a stronger, got you.